0: In Boston, a leading abolitionist, John Rock, criticized Lincoln for speaking only about saving the Union and for failing to declare that this was a war against slavery. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the Fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm battle picnic aunt, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with pointedly inspirational Chiron, Jeb Lund. Hi, Jeb. It's the war of Northern aggression, Sarah it is and shall remain today we're here to contemplate a small sliver of a larger property called freedom Colon history of us this came out in 2003 uh i have an overview and then a more granular look at dennis quaid's part slash parts in this before i embark on this journey do we have any pod business let's check in with arlington nope fantastic uh, in lieu of a plot summary since this 16-part series was basically, you know, American history, I'm just going to read some things. Featuring an all-star cast and the dependably basic Katie Couric in the presenter's chair, 2003's Freedom, colon, History of Us, stylized with the Us capitalized to indicate the United States, was, as mentioned, a 16-part clever, right? 16-part PBS series, which described itself thusly, quote, Freedom is the overarching theme of the 16-part series, based on the award-winning books by master storyteller Joy Hakim. Freedom is what has drawn to America countless human beings from around the world. It is what generations of men and women have lived and died for. It is, in a profound sense, our nation's highest calling. This is also the story of the chief obstacles to American freedom, the quote unfreedoms that have littered our national story and in some cases have called its very integrity into question. But despite all the mistakes and all the tragic setbacks, there is an overarching positive message to this series. This is a history of the United States as the unfolding, inspiring story of human liberties aspired to and won. End quote. That's nice. Mm. Freedom, colon, A History of Us was clearly conceived as an educational series which explains both the blandly self-congratulatory oversimplification of entire wars and legislative concepts, the stentorian declamation of same by the actors, and the near impossibility of finding more than one episode for review if one is not an education professional. One of my first jobs out of college was actually working for the Christopher Award-winning producers who happened to live next door to my parents. Half the job was literally calling on the phone PBS affiliates across the country and asking if they wanted to schedule the Passport to Antarctica series Jeff and Erna were putting together. And Freedom, colon, etc. reads exactly like that sort of bundled classroom-forward programming that would allow Mrs. Naughton to wheel the TV in, throw the two episodes she taped into the VCR, half-heartedly threaten us with a quiz, and spend the remainder of fourth period down the hall smoking Salem's and making book on whether those two phys ed teachers, Alice and Nabel, caught making out with each other would get fired by 7th Bell. Which is to say that it isn't very good, but that also isn't the point of it. Of the 16 episodes, Dennis Quaid appears in five as variously. Andrew Jackson, a New York Times reporter... Robert Ode, who was one of the Americans taken hostage in Iran, George Mahalis, who lost everything in the 1929 stock market crash, and in episode six, A War to End Slavery, Quaid plays General Robert E. Lee. This episode is fortunately, and a question mark, the one we were able to find on YouTube. Boyfriend has one line, and we will get to it. First, let me ask Jeb if I missed anything since fully half of this overview was padded out with personal history.
1: No. I mean, I have takes about it, but I don't know if you want to jump in right now or if you've got somewhere else to move to in the meantime. Uh, Not really. We had one contemporary review,
0: which was similarly unimpressed. Uh, Phil Gallo for Variety called it history lesson of sorts in which pages of an American history book have been photographed and famous actors have voiced the characters He also called it a dull exercise that belongs more in the classroom than prime time, which, again, see above. That's the point of it. He also notes actors do an okay job voicing speeches and the like. But when you hear Michael Douglas's voice, you flash back to an old movie scene, even if you are looking at a picture of President Adams. I mean, they got some heavy hitters for this thing. But, like, Mrs. Naughton would have put this in and been like, you know, don't get up. No talking. I'll be down the hall they maybe quiz you like that's what this is for.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think they misunderstood what made Ken Burns's civil war popular. And that was for the most part, the scholarship Shelby foot, notwithstanding. And it wasn't that those people were superstars. If you look at the actual cast list for Burns's civil war, Lincoln is voiced by Sam Waterston. Who's like six years off of the killing fields and four off of being in Hannah and her sisters for all of a smoke break. Mm-hmm. And he's like four years away from being on Law & Order. You know, the names that you do recognize are are character actors or people sort of past their prime. It's like Jason Robards. I mean, the one name that popped out to me just because I'm a big fan of uh, MST3K's Mitchell Mitchell uh, is Hoyt Axton does a whole bunch of different voices. He's the guy who sings the my, 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 my Mitchell song. I mean, it wasn't like you were getting <laughs> coming up next Meryl Streep as Harriet Tubman, you know, <laughs> right. There was nothing really that distracting about it. I mean, you'd kind of go like, oh, that's Jason Robards. But also like Jason Robards sounds like he has a cup of glass every morning with coffee in it. That's why he was good as playing these old daguerreotype people. Right. He sounded old. He sounded like he was born then. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've been saying for years that Robin Williams looked like Ulysses Grant, so that he voices Grant in this episode is sort of interesting to me, but then misses the whole point of what that would have been to me, which is that they looked
1: similar. Yeah. And also, like, why are there so many comics in this? Like, there are so many comedians in the cast list. It was like, were Larry Miller and Richard Jenny busy or something? Like... (laughs) You know, I'm yeah. Abigail Adams performed by Elaine Boozler. I mean, it's just, yeah, just a lot of names and too famous to get out of the way, but also not who you would cast. Yeah. Did you catch that uh, creative consultant Christopher Reeve
0: credit at the
1: top? Interesting. What? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I did actually have a clip just based on the celebrity thing that uh, I would like to play my Tom Hanks clip if we could. Sure. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Yeah, okay. Look, I don't know why Tom Hanks decided to play this as his character from The Lady Killers. I just assume it's (laughs) because nobody saw either, so he could just double up on it. But (laughs) if you're going to hire people just for their voices, they should probably be able to do the accent that for whatever reason they're determined to try to do. And like, I could have picked any line from this. There isn't a single sentence where Tom Hanks doesn't drop out for like at least two syllables. And he's a voiceover guy in this. He's got to get the voice right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to be on the fence about whether Abraham Lincoln was a good guy until I heard like Forrest Gump and the guy who befriended Wilson in Castaway. (laughs) As the voice for him. Like the gravitas of Abraham Lincoln is gonna come through. You don't have to pick like the most milktose actor of like two generations for it. Like it'll be fun. Get a guy who can sound like he was born in Kentucky and lived in Illinois for a whole sentence. And then you know, if you can only record one sentence at a time, fine. Do it that way.
0: I just don't understand why. I mean, I do understand why. Like if you ask Tom Hanks to do it, possibly thinking that he won't agree to do it. And then he does agree to do it. I guess you can't make him, I don't know, Braxton brag, but it's also like, just have him read it. He does know how to do this. Just have him read it in his normal voice.
1: Yeah. It's not like anybody's listening to old tapes of Abraham Lincoln on the radio. Like nobody has a firm idea of this is what Abraham Lincoln looked like. You're not going to sounded like you're not going to have people go, "Oh, that's not Lincoln. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> or they're going to compare it to Waterston, in which case just get Watterson to do it again.
1: The presence of all those names, I think, you know, we didn't get to see because we were watching a YouTube clip. I don't think we got to see the full roster of different Koch brothers affiliates that underwrote this in conjunction with like 2% of public financing. Mm -hmm. I know how it gets put together. You get the celebrities because then you'll get some money. You get some money from whomever you can get some money from. You tear out pages of the book that offend the people who gave you the money and you wind up with this. And so I was just watching it going like, man, Eric Foner agreed to be in this. Jesus. Well, you know. Yeah. Probably could use the money. Right. And you can tell he tries to drag it back to like, no, they were they were all racist, the South. It was about slavery. And then Katie Couric chimes in with some other equivalency that doesn't need to be there. Like both sides were fighting for liberty. Nope. nope, nope. Yeah. You know we're gonna to have to sit through some voiceover from Morgan Freeman, and then Eric Foner is gonna to try to be like, no, absolutely not, Katie. But he's only one man, and you give him like ninety seconds of runtime.
0: Yeah, I think he's the only commentator or yeah historian adjacent personage. The rest of it is you know, and as George McClellan, friend of the podcast, Stacey Keach, like, okay. <laughs> Uh, Like, I, I didn't not enjoy his embittered reading of the McClellan lines, but it's also like, what are we doing here? And like 16 episodes. I'm quite relieved that we could only find the one because this was just this like watered down Hall of Presidents when a bunch of the mannequins are on the Fritz level, quote, history. Yep. Yeah but you know, it's not for us. So I feel almost bad clocking it, but I just, I don't understand why this existed. And for whatever reason, I do expect better, even from Coke-based PBS product.
1: Yeah. I don't mean to be mean to it because it does have a place and that's like in an eighth grade classroom and not a grade higher. Because I don't think you can get any simpler or more forgiving on the brain when reading this kind of history or encountering this kind of history without just wholly falsifying it. And they do a fairly good job of alighting some really huge shit. Like the fact that if you watch this, you're like, well, Abraham Lincoln must have been writing that Emancipation Proclamation during Inauguration Day. It's like, no, he wasn't. (laughs) No, it was not, you know, a foregone conclusion. Please stop making it sound like one because that really, really messes up history, which is important because it happened.
0: Eighth grade seems too high. I mean, I'd cap this at fifth grade because I think any further into middle school and the kids are going to be like, uh, so there were only three battles. Like you're just, you're not getting by with this shit with 13 year olds, in my opinion.
1: Well, look, I just, I wanted to go with grade inflation. I figure it's, it's reaching down.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's one more clip that I have to share, which is uh, should give listeners a rough idea of what you're dealing with. It didn't take long for people to realize that war was no picnic, but no one dreamed that the Civil War would be as long, hard and bloody as it turned out to be.
1: (sighs) Yep, no picnic. I'm reminded of that famous quote from William Tecumseh Sherman. War is all get out. I, like, and you don't have to springboard off that
0: picnic story, which like, we all know because we all watch the Ken Burns thing, in- into like wordplay about the picnic. I don't know. Even as an educational product that is supposed to be as sort of broad and blank and projectable as possible, I, I don't
1: understand what this thinks it's doing. That's why I like the uh, the Katie Couric clip at the beginning, because it really that that clip, I think, is like the funniest, most like what version of it. But all of it comes out in that newscaster tone, which at points almost makes it seem like it's venturing into the historical present, like she's reporting on it. Yeah, I, I don't want to say like takes me out of it, but it automatically makes it feel like Maybe I'm being clowned here. Like, I'm just thinking for a second, like, is this a joke? Because every delivery has that, like, for American history in Washington, I'm Katie Kurek. And you're like, no, like, stop. Yeah. What are you doing?
0: Well, and there's just this um, blandly asserted, our version of this conflict is on the side of right tone that's like, you know, of course, it's more complicated than a 25 minute Classroom stopgap show pitched at ten-year-olds is going to make it seem. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, how much more gold do we really have to blow up uh, the Lincoln Kulo at this point? I think we're all set there.
1: Oh God, yeah, that little monologue about how few syllables there were per word and the total words, like the, this <laughs> sixth-grade and up panegyric, I guess, to the in you know economy of his his speech, which I think. Everybody is heard. Yeah. Even by the time they're hearing this in the classroom, that's just such a go-to in terms of commentary. Like at the time people spoke for six hours and the shortest word was four syllables and it had they all had Latin or Greek roots. I get (laughs) it. Like he was a pretty great guy. That's kind of what we're coming to this with. I mean, he's one of like the four that everyone recognizes. Yeah. Did you have to memorize this address for school? no no we were um i went to a, uh, a religious school for a bit and we had to memorize psalms or in my atheistical way like casey at the bat or high flight or gotcha. <laughs> whatever else i could think of so no this this never got we, we did have to do the the preamble to the constitution and the declaration ah no
0: so. we had to do this one and then um kubla khan
1: today on Almost as legendary as Florida Xanadu, world's largest private pleasure ground.
0: Mm. And the others I've forgotten because it was traumatic. every Friday. Um, I don't, I don't like it.
1: <laughs> nope. All right. Let's just go ahead and do it. At least for me, I'd say like a three, just because I'm offended on behalf of history. I think that <laughs> if you watched this for any reason, like of your own volition, you would probably be better off not watching it in terms of history content. Like, I think just reading angry left of center Twitter, you will get more citations from Eric Foner in a day.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, probably better performances from Tom Hanks as well. Um, I am surprised that I'm coming in lower than you on this, but I just found it maddening. And the fact that I couldn't exactly put my finger on... Why it was maddening and still can't is not helping. So even, wah-wah, grading on a curve, I'm still only coming in at a two. I think this is garbage, and I hope they didn't show it in too many schools. Fair enough. Okay. Quaid qua Quade Dennis. <laughs> this might be tricky, but then again, it might not. As I said, in this, he has uh, one line, and I just don't understand why. He felt that for this one line, he had to try and fail to essay a Virginian accent when he is Texan and it's fucking close enough for school children. Here is a clip of the line. In late June, 1863, General Robert E. Lee decided to map a full-scale invasion of the North. It was an enormous gamble to try to beat the Yankees on their home ground in Pennsylvania. Upon reaching the vicinity of Gettysburg,
1: we found the enemy and attacked him, driving him from town which was occupied by our troops. There's something going on around here that just don't add up.
0: Um, Can I also just say I'm tempted to go back and revise my score down to a one and a half because that fife is making me want to
1: stab myself in the ear with a knitting needle. I don't know. Could they not afford the rights to the ants go marching two by two? Like, did they have to get a sound alike? Were they going to get sued by the public domain? What was going on there?
0: Is that like happy birthday? I
1: think uh, I think. Quaid gets off of like four full words that have no accent relationship to what he's trying to do, which is remarkable. It sounds like he's drunk. Also remarkable. <laughs> it sounds like he took it in one take. I think that is way Quaidier than um, I, really some of the, the roles from a couple seasons ago when he's just sort of pouty. <laughs> I'm tempted just on the sheer brass of it to give it more points.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, axes a bunch of um, mathematical considerations. Uh, it's 16 episodes and he was in five. He does play a couple of major figures along the way, and then one nameless guy. I have to assume that in all of these other things, he had just as many words, if not fewer, like that his entire aggregate role in freedom, colon, is shorter than the Gettysburg Address. But very probably, yeah. And I think that's probably true of anyone who is in this. So he's not in that much of it, mm. uh, and then he's not in that much of this one episode. But he definitely doesn't fuck. Mm-mm. Yeah, I actually noted that in the visual aids. There's, you know, I cut a picture of um, Lee with those big gloves on, <laughs> the big riding gloves. That uh, I was like, nope, no one's, no one's getting it in in those. No. Uh you can almost see him doing that hand on the small of the back, blocking, like in front of the mic.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, because he's he's peering forward with his half moon spectacles on and holding up the script in the other hand, and it's like Krusty the Clown going in to record things for the uh the Krusty the Clown doll, you know, <laughs> like one two three go boom boom boom. I'm I'm out of here. I'm Jackson. Leave whatever. We're done. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean it's not good is it i can't i can't even tell it's not good but it is a certain form of on brand not good yeah. that i respect so like i think you know it has to be a one because he was definitely in mm-hmm. it we could hear him so it's not like stripes but <laughs> i think just for the like i'm gonna fuck up this accent and i'm gonna do it in like a sentence fragment that's how quickly i'm gonna do it i had one line for this whole thing and i'm just not gonna nail it I'm going to make an inexplicable choice. I think that taps into a certain Quaid essence that we're very used to. And so for me, that's a three as well. Huh. Okay.
0: I am going to go three and a half. Interesting. um, Just because I can sort of project what I think he may have done as President Andrew Jackson onto this. And I have a feeling that that was uh, also quite Quaidy, but possibly in ways that you don't want. But, yeah, but you, you don't get to pick the kind of Quaidy. <laughs> the universe governs these things, and we are merely here to report. Fair enough. All right, well, uh, now we are free, colon, et cetera.
1: Eric Foner, you're free.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's who they picked because it sounded like everybody else phoned in their lines. Boo, boo. Next time on Quaid and Full the Alamo. Don't forget. In the meantime, upon reaching the vicinity of the show notes, check them out and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. And there's even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid and Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? This shit could be on the midterm, so go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid and Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Now who's responsible? I say who's responsible for this unwarranted attack on my person?